This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena, no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o tangata o Manawatu. It is a Tuesday morning, uh, and as uh, regular listeners will know, we now have a choice between either looking at Massey University and some of the interesting things going on there, or we turn our attention to Horizons Regional Council, looking at environmental and economic matters in the Horizons region, which is vast. Uh, and in the studio uh, this morning, we have chairperson of Horizons Regional Council. Uh, Rachel Keedwell, good morning to you. Good morning, Fraser. How are you? Not too bad. It's uh, been a while since we caught up. We we do get a chance every so often to speak to some other councillors and occasionally Michael McCartney and some of the staff there. It's a good little overview of all the things that are going on. Um, but since we last spoke to someone from Horizons, we are seeing a, a final representation arrangement and this was brought about by the decision to include Maori wards in the next election uh, and so things have been moving uh, apace which is kind of uh, interesting for a, a council organisation that may be a bit more sedate to onlookers. Yeah, there doesn't feel anything sedate about Horizons at the moment. There's so much change happening, some of it from central government, some of it just dealing with the business that we've got and then um, you know, additional bits that pop up like putting in Māori representation yeah. because the law was changed and gave us the opportunity to do it. Uh, really pleased that um, we are putting that through. It went out for public submissions and I think we had maybe 10 people um, giving their views on it, um, some in support, some against some, uh, you know, commenting on aspects that weren't actually up for submission, mm. such as whether the Māori seats should be there at all. It, it wasn't that. It was um, asking what we've proposed. So this was Does 10 submissions, mm-hmm. which in terms of council engagement, normally you go, well, that's not very many. But do you feel that, you know, there was a couple of token submissions from the yeses and there's a very – or the supporters uh, and, and a sort of um, – a representative quantity of people against. In other words, the vast majority of the community think this is a good idea and we just want to get on with it. Yeah, it's hard to know. Like if we only have 10 submissions and we've got, you know, however many thousand people in the in the area that are affected by it, uh, do we take their silence as, yeah, it's okay or as disinterest? Um yeah, all we can really do is uh, ensure we're making the best decision possible on the information available to us. And I think sometimes when we get a mixed response like that, you know that you're, you know, you haven't got it all wrong or all right. You know, we're 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 on the way to getting something in place that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, I, I suspect, the answer will be no comment or I don't know. But just out of interest, Werimutiawiawi is uh, current Horizons Regional Council law. Uh, in the next election, will he retain that general seat, or do you think he would move into the Maori seat? Mm, you'll have to ask him that. Yeah, it would well, be a it, political gamble as to which one does he think would work better for him. Yeah, well, it would be interesting. 
interesting to 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 see. Um, was there any other representation discussions? Because obviously, whilst the focus was on the Maori seats, um, the decision to have a Maori electorate triggers a representation wide uh, overview and 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 look at the situation, which includes how seats are. are dispersed in the general role as well. Yeah, there were, there were some submissions that touched on that and we, we looked at that in great detail when we were considering the options. So it was about things like the urban and rural split, uh, making sure that both of those types of communities are well represented. It's the fact that we have such a huge region in trying to uh, get all areas fairly represented. Mm-hmm. So we end up with a, a, a bit of a, an uneven split across the region. Some areas have fewer people per councillor and others have more just because you know, Palmerston North, we have what eighty thousand people in a small area, and Ropihu, which is um, probably a seventh, more than a seventh of our region's land area, but has maybe uh, I don't know fifteen thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very difficult to to make it completely fair. So that's part of the pluses and minuses that we were evaluating as we did it. In terms of fair representation, one would argue, with Horizons being based in Palmerston North, that Palmerston North would be. More intensely represented, uh, as opposed to the likes of Rupi, who were you know travel for councillors and things. Was there any discussion, or is there any generally around how to ensure that the um, the areas as far away from Palmerston North uh, as can be are still adequately represented and heard as well as people in Palmerston North? Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it does it does make a difference when your your centre of business is so far away. Um, it helps having Zoom connections in some ways because it means people can now watch the meetings or come and speak to meetings without actually having to travel that long distance. But that's just an issue with a, a large region. I don't think there's any easy way around that other than making sure the people that, um, particularly the representatives who are from those areas, speak up strongly for the areas. I mean, it's a, it's a problem that's symptomatic for New Zealand-wide. I mean, you look at the COVID vaccination rates and you can see quite clearly the rural-urban divide. Uh, and also there is a, 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 a cultural divide as well. But how how do you battle that because it's obviously something that transcends issues Mm -hmm. that rural urban divide is constantly there and uh, uh, compounds things like uh, internet access and and, and other information access as well. Yeah and for a regional council there's an added divide that, that is along rural and urban split is that often rural people understand what a regional council does but urban people don't Mm -hmm. because the rural people pay the biggest rates usually because a lot of our rates are based on land area so the farmers um, in the biosecurity space for example they have quite large uh, uh, rates to pay and also for um, drainage schemes and catchment schemes. And the more expensive something is the more you know about it. Yeah that's right and that's why a regional council has typically been loaded with uh, people from the rural background mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are most interested. And in Palmerston North, you know, you've got a large population here, but the main thing that they would be impacted by um, th- would probably be the flood protection. Mm-hmm. And because it's spread over so many people, it doesn't impact on any one person's pocket in quite the same way as a large landowner. Have there been any talks of some sort of radical rates review down the line to maybe try and address that balance? Because, you know, you have kind of... There's an element of a user pays model to Horizons, you know, because one of the criticisms Horizons often gets from people like people in Palmerston North saying, well, I shouldn't be paying for that stuff up at Ruabehu. 
you're not. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> similar, with, I think, with some of the public transport as well. But uh, is there has there ever been talk of a clever new rates model for that sort of thing? Well, it's one thing that we've talked about um, evaluating over the next couple of years. It's a piece of work that came out of the long-term plan. So that's looking at... Uh, for those communities that are paying. So let's give an example of flood protection. So in Palmerston North, as a Palmerston North ratepayer, you pay 80% of the cost and the other 20% is spread over the region. So that means someone in Ruapehu is paying towards the flood protection that we get here. But conversely, in Palmerston North, you're also paying some rates towards biosecurity and biodiversity initiatives, yet most of that work is happening in uh, more rural areas. Mm. So... uh, we were one of the things we want to look at is what's the net benefits and costs for each community? Are they paying, um, you know, across the board, not just looking at one area of work? Are they roughly paying as much as they're receiving in benefits? So it's uh, there's not going to be an easy answer because no. there's always going to be someone who wins and someone who loses. And what we're trying to do is set policies that get the balance mm-hmm. as close as possible as to where it's fair. Well, good luck with that. I'm sure someone will complain regardless. Um, we are here with Rachel Keedwell, co-chair, uh, chairperson of Horizons. I say co-chair because the next thing is about the uh, River Leaders Accord. Uh, congratulations on, on the co-chairship appointment. You seem to have lots of chairs in your titles. <laughs> I do. I seem to gather them uh, at a, uh, an increasing frequency at the moment. It's when you get the dining table, you know, you've, you've achieved the... the uh, yeah, thing. something for me to look forward to, mm. I'm sure. Uh, so the River Leaders Accord, um, well, uh, tell, t- tell us a bit about the River Leaders Accord, what it's up to and, and what your, your plans are as co-chair. Mm. So just a quick background, this accord in the, the River Leaders Forum arose from the headlines back in about 2010, somewhere around there, that the Manawatu was one of the most polluted uh, rivers in, in the world. And closely followed by Horizons and PNCC getting into a bit of a stoosh, stoosh but it's all been sorted now. Yeah, yeah. We'll Before our time. Before day. our time. We, 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 you know, we don't have to, we, we, don't, we don't hold any accountability for that. So what, what we did was uh, the, the council at the time uh, decided to try and do something about that to address it because there's a lot of finger pointing going on again the rural urban divide you know the farmers saying it's the urban's fault and urban saying it's the farmers fault and no one actually doing the work just trying to put the blame on someone Mm -hmm. so it was a matter of pulling together all of the parties and uh, just acknowledging where we're at and what can be done and as a result there were um, action plans drawn up there are hundreds of actions that the different parties committed to uh, and it's it's had quite far-reaching consequences because it pulled together not just the councils uh, and farmers and um, it brought in central government, it brought in all of the iwi that are along the river uh, and it meant people have been working together and developing re- relationships in a way that they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. And it's also a really successful model. It's more than in the 10 years the Accord's been operating, there's been, uh, I think, $66 million of investment and a fair chunk of that, probably eight or nine million, is from central government because it was a it's a model that works and uh, and so everyone's got a bit of skin in the game. So why is the river not running crystal clear? Yeah, because probably it uh, there are so many uh, contributing factors to it being how it is right now. So I'm assuming it's better than it was in. 
Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, it's a very large catchment. So uh, you look at different parts of the catchment, there are improvements, but there are other parts where it's still going the wrong direction and it's still not in good quality. So, you know, that's why what we're doing is refreshing the accord. We're going to look at getting everyone to sign it up again and, um, and you know, we're working out what are the next steps. Do we do a, a revised action plan to keep keep going because it's it's certainly the job's not done yet. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't wish to be confrontational, but you, you've said, you know, millions and millions of dollars of investment. Uh, it's a model that works, and yet the river's not better. I mean, is, is that good enough to to say that it works and should continue if, if the river's not better, not even by a considerable amount? Mm. Uh yeah, I, I do think it's a model that works because when you look at where that money goes, if you've got fencing, you know, it costs a lot of money to fence a kilometre of river. And I think, oh, I should have grabbed the figures, but, you know, we're talking about thousands of kilometres mm-hmm. of river that mm-hmm. need fencing and planting and, and um, stopping the sediment getting in. And you've got all of these wastewater treatment plants, you know, like one wastewater treatment plant, you know, Palmerston North, how much is theirs going to cost? We've spent $66 million on the river, but that could be blown on one plant. Mm-hmm. You know, so the scale of the job is huge. And uh, I think what's been important is actually starting to do the work and um, getting people, in some ways, getting people to engage with the river as well. Because the more people that are supportive of what's happening and care, uh, the more likely it is to to get more support for the work that needs doing. So is 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 the definition of success at this stage, obviously we're aspiring for crystal clear waters, but well, I, you know, I assume, um, but is the measure of success at the moment that in the decade or so that this has been around more, uh, the river has not gotten worse? No, no. I, and on balance, it probably hasn't gotten worse. Um, but like I say, because you've got so many different parts of it and each part of it, uh, has different issues going on in the catchment. So if you look on the other side, the Tararua side of the ranges, you've got uh, rivers that are going through farmland and that's a big part of the problem. Mm. And other sections are quite pristine through a large part of the, the upper reaches, so the Pahangana, the Oroa. But then the more you come downstream, you've got more of the compounding effect of all of the towns it goes through, all mm. of the land use it goes through. So you know the job is, is big. It's not going to happen overnight. Would the government's uh, now mandated, which is uh, an interesting little arrangement that's going on, but the now mandated three waters uh, reform, which includes wastewater, and you mentioned all the wastewater treatment plants down the Manawatu River, uh, is there any indication that the three waters reform would assist something like the River Leaders Accord in achieving its outcomes because you'd get consented clear water discharge from the the start of the river right to the sea. Yeah, it depends if the three waters reform works in that way. Um, someone's still got to come up with the money to fix those plants. And I imagine there are going to be so many plants that need attention, there'll be some sort of hierarchy or ranking put in place. And it's only those, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know how mm, they're going to mm. do that. Um, there's not enough money to fix all of them right now just because they've changed the model. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will still be issues with that for many years to come. Would it be would it be a quicker process though? I mean, it's central government that you know has its hands on the, on the national covers, and this would be a national uh, program as well, as opposed to each individual council having to find the money to fix it themselves. You'd think it would be a quicker process. Well, you'd hope, but I I still don't have an understanding of where they think that money is coming from mm. to make it work mm. to the scale of the issue that's mm. there, and just the 
um, you know, the, you can't do all of them at once because there aren't the contractors and the special specialists involved to do that all at once. Mm. So there will be some ranking as to which ones get the attention first. Yes, indeed, we are here with Rachel Keedwell, uh, the chairperson of Horizons Regional Council for the Catch-Up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, you can head to the website, mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, accessmedia.nz, anywhere you get your online listening. Uh, So far, speaking to Rachel about the representation arrangements and the River Leaders Accord, Um, COP26 has uh, made headlines repeatedly over the past couple of weeks. Uh, James Shaw made headlines himself in trying to get over there and taking up MIQ spots and the like. Uh, I'm assuming you would think that James Shaw being there was a good thing given that climate change is a real issue. Yeah, it's good that New Zealand was there and represented, but uh, I don't think the outcomes can be called good. Uh I think they are a long way from taking the level of action that's required. Mm. Uh, Because there was a lot of talk there that this was, you know, groundbreaking and people were really working together this time, but at the end of the day, just not good enough again? No, no. I mean, you look at each of these meetings that have been, the only thing that comes out of it is we continue to watch greenhouse gas emissions rise and global temperatures rise. And I don't see that they've signed up to any sort of agreement that is going to change that trajectory. Mm. It's again, it's just... um, well, I, I think it's moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not actually changing the course of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. That level uh, would require huge commitment, and it means uh, the developed countries need to put a lot of money into the undeveloped ones. I mean, how do you say to India, whose primary source of energy comes from coal, that you're not allowed to lift your people out of poverty? Mm-hmm. You have to stop using coal. So, you know, it's, that's it's, a kind of compelling argument, that, though, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a very very difficult situation, and so my interest from the horizons perspective is okay. Let's assume that we're not going to keep those temperatures to a level they need to be. Um, how do we make sure our communities are safe into the future? So that's a large piece of the work that we're doing is looking at the vulnerabilities and the risk assessments around the region, and what do we need to do to address those risks? I don't know if you've seen it on uh, YouTube and Facebook, but um, the YouTube the YouTube channel, Another White Man Behind a Desk, uh, did a piece about the Climate Change Commission and its sort of toothless position in New Zealand in that it can advise uh, on what is the appropriate course of action and the government have to... But marry up the political benefits with the actual climate change stuff. Um, are you happy with how New Zealand is performing in this space um, and what the Climate Change Commission are advising and what the government's taking from that advice? Well, it's better than what we had before. Mm. So I'm glad we've got a Climate Change Commission in there. I'm glad that these are mainstream discussions for us to talk about. But I think the average New Zealander doesn't Uh, quite understand the scale of the problem. People still think all we need to do is use the technology to uh, change things. So, Oh, it's clean, green New Zealand, Rachel. (laughs) I mean, that's our international marketing, isn't it? Yeah, and people think that that's all we need to do. So we can change all the cars to electric and then we'll be sweet. Well, actually, it doesn't work like that. There's not enough electricity to change Mm -hmm. the entire fleet. And we've seen that recently, even before we've got a big fleet of electric vehicles, power companies just randomly shutting down parts of the grid because there wasn't enough. I mean, that's that's almost third world territory when you're Mm. just shutting down 
parts of the grid for because there's enough generation. Yeah, so we're we're ignoring the problem that we actually need to change how we live. You know, our energy intensive lifestyle just mm-hmm. cannot be supported. There's not there's no way of dodging that. What we try and do is greenwash it and think if we switch to the electric car, we're mm. making a difference. If we do our recycling, because mining lithium, mining lithium is fine. It's very clean, very, very human. No human rights and abuses or anything. That's right. And the same with all of our devices that mm. we rely on. Uh, so many of them rely on rare minerals that uh, come from dodgy places, but also have a limited, finite amount. Mm-hmm. So we're, yeah. I'm probably a bit doom and gloom on this subject, but I oh well, no, the an- <laughs> the answer is space colonite. <laughs> you can tell I'm a colonist because I can't I can't pronounce the word. But yes, going into space and mining that, that's the answer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. And looking at how we can set up on the moon or Mars, it's like let's invest that money and that um, technology into solving the problems here. But I think that's that's part of the issue. Technology has got us into this situation. Well, and that, people think technology is going to get us out. That and population growth. And, and the human race is just designed to breed, it seems, and grow and grow and grow. So eventually we're going to have yeah. to go somewhere else, aren't we? I, I Yeah, that's true to an extent. But when you look at the uh, footprint of your average Western person compared to a, a person in a third world country, you know, it's I, I I don't have any figures to hand for that, but there was some some uh, research circulating recently that basically showed that a very small proportion of people are living so far beyond the Earth's capacity. It doesn't really matter what everyone else does; mm. that they alone would be responsible for overshoot shoot of our ecological it, it's capacity. A, it's a symptom of third world countries, though. I, I believe I was taught this at school that poorer families have more children mm. in the hope that. One of them will be successful or there'll be someone to look after the parents in their old age. Whereas in a richer country where you have a, uh, a reliable health system and re- reliable uh, superannuation, you don't need all those children. So you can stop at one or two or three. But that right. family of 10 in that third world country has a, an environmental footprint that's probably one hundredth of a family of three in a Western country mm. that jet sets around the world for their holidays every few months. True. Oh, it's a very complicated thing. Listen, let, let's uh, uh, try and steer away from the doom and gloom and look at something a bit more uh, tangible and, and, and uh, closer to home. Uh, the bus routes. Uh, I think the last time we spoke to someone from Horizons may have been John O'Nailer. I'm not sure. Um, we were talking about the sort of the review of the bus routes and there was a proposal uh, in two parts, basically. Either... Uh, more routes with the bus stops further apart or the same or slightly fewer routes with closer together bus stops, uh, depending on what the community saw as the most convenient and useful for them. Now, if I've got that wrong, that's your, this is your chance to, 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 um, to correct me. Um, but the, the consultation is closed or it's ongoing? Yeah, consultation is closed. So you were, you were close with getting that right. It was, um, the, the fewer routes but more frequent services. Right. Or um, more routes but that means fewer services. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so 15 minutes, every 15 minutes versus every 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So we went out to consultation on those two ideas uh, as well as uh, some other suggestions for improvements of the Massey service, the Ashurst service and a couple of other tweaks and uh, came back with – 
a slight majority, um, you know, I think probably a strong enough majority to to get the support, which was a, a for the the higher frequency. Mm-hmm. So there will be some people that won't work for, and the consultation was useful and that identified uh, some holes in the way the proposed routes were set up. So we we weren't willing to just straight out adopt the um, the new. Uh, you know the, the the proposal as we went out mm. with it. So the officers are doing a bit more work to look at refining that, and we'll bring it back to council. I think it will be early in the new year. It comes to the passenger transport committee to um, uh, confirm exactly what's going to happen in that space. Um, the, the, the is this just for Palmerston North? Or are we looking at Whanganui and Fielding as well? No, just for Palmerston North. Right, so okay. Fielding had a review recently. Mm-hmm. Whanganui is undergoing uh, a similar process to add in um, that we put extra money in the budget and Whanganui District Council as well put money in their budget because they're really keen to get a better public transport service. So one of the things we're looking at over there because Whanganui is a very long city as it runs along the river and uh, lends itself to a route that just basically runs up and down the length of the city. So they're putting in an increased frequency and we're going to see if that makes a difference and makes it easier for people to use the bus. I'd like to share with you, if if I could, a conspiracy theory that I heard recently uh, in that uh, the launch of the e-scooters in Palmerston North was uh, sort of backroom horizons Palmerston North uh, arrangement to basically privatise the problem of uh, public transport and, and mode shifts of transport uh, because Horizons has, you know, a finite amount of money for the buses. Uh, the city council are struggling to change people's minds around the parking in the city. So just privatise the problem and let someone make some money out of it and see if that solves it. How how far <laughs> away from the truth is that? Well, I'm not sure which back room they were in, but I certainly wasn't invited to that discussion. Uh, and we've put a lot of work into refining the bus proposal because we're going out for tender again. Uh, And why would we bother doing that if we were not interested in Mm -hmm. making it work? I think those scooters are a great idea and it's part of what we need to have a system to replace uh, everyone using a car first and foremost. Uh, But it's it's made up of a large number of elements. So it's encouraging walking, cycling, micro mobility Mm -hmm. like scooters, plus your buses. It's got to be a range of those things because everyone has such different needs and every journey is slightly different. So I I cannot see the scooters taking over the function of the buses. No, particularly when there's no infrastructure for them, Mm. which is rapidly becoming a problem. I was driving down, I'm going to say Russell Street, but I can't remember which one it was, uh, and two scooter riders doing the 25 kilometres an hour down the road without a helmet on, which is illegal, but I think is far safer than being on the pavement and potentially hitting a car there. But I'm stuck doing 25. I can't overtake them. There's stuff coming the other way. There's no place for scooters and they're going to frustrate a lot of people and they're already starting when they're getting uh, abandoned as we've seen a lot of them over the past couple of weekends just lying on the ground in places. Mm -hmm. A lot of users, I will say, are conscientious. Do it properly. Leave the scooters where they should be. I'm not tarnishing everyone with the same brush. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be some sort of almost nationwide infrastructure look at at least how new roads are built to have... Space for pedestrians, micro mobility, cyclists, and cars. Yeah, yeah, because up till now it's very much been cars versus everyone else. Mm. And all of those, everyone else's were put into the same place, which was a footpath. 
And we're finding that, you know, particularly shared paths aren't going to work when you've got quite a bit of speed in cyclists, the scooters, and then you've got people on foot. They they don't mix well together the same as cyclists and traffic don't necessarily mix well together either. Mm. Public transport will be an interesting thing moving forward and Horizons Regional Council will be at the forefront of all of those discussions as the provider of our buses. Uh, Rachel Keedwell from Horizons, Chairperson, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, do head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition. Do join us then. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.